Good morning again. It is good to have you worshiping with us here. We are traveling through the book of James, and I pray that it has been uh, an encouragement to you, but I also pray that it's been a challenge to you. As we look at the book of James, we discover that it is a book of action. James is all about us living out our faith. And to be honest with you, this morning, we get right into that piece. This is essentially the crux of this entire book, where James talks about uh, faith with action, or better yet, faith without action is indeed dead. So let me talk to you for a moment. If I came to you and I was uh, ready to order a cheeseburger, and I walked up to you and I said, yes, I'd like a cheeseburger, Could you please give me that with pickles, onions, lettuce, tomato, ketchup, mustard, but hold the cheese? What would you say? So you want a hamburger, right? No, 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 uh -uh. I want a cheeseburger. Pickles, lettuce, tomatoes, onions, ketchup, mustard, but hold the cheese. He'd probably look at me and say, so you want a hamburger? No, I want a cheeseburger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hold the cheese. Then you might come to me and you might say, well, well, you know what, if you want, you could actually just order a hamburger and save the dollar for the upcharge on the cheese. Wouldn't you want to do that? And I would turn to you and I'd say, no, I want a cheeseburger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, hold the cheese. You might look at me and you might, I I don't get that. The customer's always right, aren't they? But in this instance, maybe the customer's wrong. And then if I came to you and I said, well, you know, boy, I just had a cheeseburger, you'd kind of look at me and say, well, no, you had a hamburger. No, 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 I had a cheeseburger. Now, why am I bringing this up? Obviously, we say one thing, but without the fundamental element, we don't have what it is that is truly professed. So let me just take a moment. We're going to take a look and ask a very simple question this morning. Can one have a faith in Christ that is not accompanied by works? Let's take a moment, and let's think about that for a minute. I'd like a cheeseburger, hold the cheese. Well, what we have is a hamburger, not a cheeseburger. And if I tell you that I have a cheeseburger, but I don't have the cheese, do I indeed have a cheeseburger? To drive that point home, I have a couple of illustrations that I think might be kind of fun for us. We're going to try a little exercise. We're going to look at a couple of things, and we're going to kind of see how one without the other is something, but it's not really what the essence of what's being stated is. So this morning, I'm going to start off and I'm going to say this, skydiving without a parachute. Anybody want to do that? I don't know about you, but I probably don't necessarily want to go skydiving without a parachute. What about scuba diving without a scuba tank? Love that little kid. He's loving life. He's doing his thing. He's breathing his bubbles. Now, I've heard this thing of deep diving, and I'm not necessarily against deep diving, but if I'm going to be scuba diving for any length and period of time, I think I would like to have a scuba tank, particularly if they're asking me to do a particular deed or stay underwater for more than the time that I can hold my breath. What about painting without paint? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Here we have a picture of an artist who has a paintbrush, but they're painting without paint. What... What, what are you doing? Well, I'm painting. Okay, where's the paint? Well, I'm painting. Really? Okay, is this imaginary? Is this... No, I'm, I'm painting, but I don't have any paint today. What about driving without a car? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? But I don't know how we're going to be able to do that. How about this one? Boating without water. Us lake fans... How how excited would we be today if we decided to go boating and the next thing you know, we don't have any water in Lake Panorama. Are we going boating? Rhetorical question. We're going to see that here in a moment in James. Are we going boating? No, we're not because there's no water. How about this one, skiing without snow? Now, it can be done. It's been tried before. I don't necessarily recommend it, but there are people that have decided to go out and ski on sand. Um, Let me know how that goes for you when you fall. Um, how about this one? This is one of my personal favorites. Simon without Garfunkel. Okay? Now, it can be done, and to be honest with you, I might say that Paul Simon went on and did a better career, but I mean, come on, Simon and Garfunkel go together. The two are one. Now, this is dating me a little bit, a little bit but how about Abbott without Costello? Some of you might remember that. Or Thanksgiving without Turkey. How about Christmas without Christ? And then also the final fundamental piece that we're speaking today, faith 
without works. And I'm going to pause there for a moment. I want you to look at that image. We see, essentially, the image of an individual, a body, a living body, but then below it we see what? A corpse. And there's a purpose in that, because in a moment we're going to see James speak to someone who has a faith but does not have works. And James is very pointed, and he says, if you have faith but you don't have works, then your faith is dead. A corpse, it's not living, it's not alive. So, what does that mean, and what are we talking about this morning? I want to take a minute, and I want you to look, particularly in James chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to read this, and we're going to see what James is talking about. But before we do, I want to make this very clear. I want everybody to understand that I am not up here, nor is James professing, that works bring about salvation. We do not work to be saved. In fact, for quite some time, as the uh, scriptures were being compiled, James was one of the last books to be included in the canon because there was confusion over, is James saying that in order to be saved, we have to work, right? Okay, so I've got to do deed one, and then deed two, and then deed three, and then perhaps after having worked enough, I am, quote unquote, saved. And the problem was, was that was contrary to what Paul was saying. And Paul was essentially saying that we're saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is absolutely true. And so for a while there was this contradictory aspect, but then it came to be known and discovered that really what James is talking about is not faith in terms of being saved, it's after having been saved. If we're not living out our life and demonstrating our faith, then perhaps the faith that we have is not alive because it hasn't been accompanied by works. We do, we act, we quote unquote work not for approval of God or salvation by God. We work, we do, we act because we have been saved. But what James is after is he's saying if you have been saved and you're not doing anything for the Father, then have you been saved at all? A living faith, a true faith, will be accompanied by action. When we ask, and James says this specifically, in a rhetorical question, in a hypothetical, show me your faith so that it might be seen. How do we show our faith so that it might be seen? Through action, by how we live out our life for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what James is after. And what he's noticing, particularly as he's writing to this church, which is accompanied primarily of Jewish believers, individuals who are Jewish, essentially, by their religion as well as their race, he's writing to individuals within the church and saying, what I'm noticing about you, what I'm hearing and seeing, is that some of you are professing a faith in Jesus, but your life shows no evidence of it whatsoever. And that's what he's after here this morning. And so friends, it's like a cheeseburger without cheese, Simon without Garfunkel, etc., etc. but it's way more serious. Friends, what I'm here to tell you this morning, do you ever ask yourself, how do I know, how do I know that I am saved? It's a great question, isn't it? Well, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus as our Savior, but the evidence of your salvation isn't the prayer. The evidence of your salvation is a changed heart that's willing and desiring to, obedient, to be obedient to the will of God, to his will, which we're going to see also by the examples that James brings up in Scripture this morning. So let's take a moment. Let's see what James has to say about faith with deeds. And my prayer this morning is that it will encourage us. Number one, for those of us that are in Christ and that are doing the will of the Father, it will be an encouragement to us to say, yeah, this is what we're supposed to be doing. But prayerfully, lovingly, for those of us that are out there this morning that might be professing faith, saying, oh, I believe, but then checking our faith at the door and our lives don't evident, 
have any evidence of any form of change or difference or desire to be living out our life for God, lovingly, I might encourage you to say, why is that? Now, I'm not God, and I'm not professing that you are saved or not. He alone is the one who saves. But if we sit there and we say, yeah, I want a cheeseburger without cheese. It's a hamburger. It's not a cheeseburger. If we sit there and we say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but all we do is say it, and it doesn't manifest in our life, what James is saying is that kind of faith is dead. And dead isn't alive. So let's take a moment and see what James has to say. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have a faith but no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily... uh, and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about the physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that your faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Brothers and sisters, this morning we're seeing a very real, very compassionate part of James's scripture. This is essentially the crutch of what is going on in all of this book. James is calling the church to action. He is calling them to say that if you have a faith in Jesus Christ, it will manifest itself in action, how you live out your life. You will be different. You will be transformed. And he goes in and he says some quite pointed pieces to demonstrate that indeed within the church that he is serving, there are individuals of which he has a concern because they are professing faith, but they are not living the professed faith out in their life. Friends, it's one thing to say, I believe. It's a whole other thing to say, I believe, and then go and do the will of the Father. Anyone, as James says, can say that they believe. Even demons believe. And yet, they are not saved. Let's take a moment and let's look at this. We're going to look particularly at a couple of passages. Uh, The first thing that I'd like to show us, and it's pretty evident, it's pretty obvious in what James is saying, and that is simply this. That faith is useless without works. Now please hear me again. I am not saying that we work for our salvation. That is not what James is professing at all. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul makes that very clear. And both Paul and James would agree on that statement. But also, both Paul and James would agree that if in saying, I have faith, there is no change, there is no trajectory difference, there is no life that demonstrates a faith in Jesus Christ, 
that faith is dead. Your faith is made alive by what? The deeds that we do. It is evidenced by how we live our life. Now, please hear me also. I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. I'm not saying that we all cannot ever sin. That's not what Scripture teaches. But what it is saying is this, that if we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we've truly had an encounter with him, and the Holy Spirit is living within us, then when we say, not my will be done, but thy will be done, we mean it. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? He comes up with a very poignant example. Now, the two things that I'd like to say in this, this is an example, this is not the only thing. I don't want everybody thinking that, okay, because James said this particular thing, this is the only thing that we need to do. It's an example, but it's pretty important. It's a poignant one, and that is this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what, what, what good is it? The example here is, is essentially, oh, I'll pray for you. Or, oh, I'm sorry that you're hurting, but I'm not going to do anything for you. The faith that is alive is one that would have compassion, would have mercy, would have grace, would do something for their brother or sister in action. And so friends, what I want to tell you is simply this. Are we doing things for our brother or sister in Christ who is in need, or are we simply placating them by saying, oh, I'll pray for you? And friends, that's a faith, I'm not denying that it isn't. James even says it so, but what I would tell you is that faith is dead according to what James writes. And I would stand behind James, or with James, shoulder to shoulder, and say, I wholeheartedly agree with him. It's a faith, it's something, it's a belief in something, but what you're believing in is dead, because it's not manifested by the demonstration of action, or works, or deeds. So friends, what I want to tell you is this, if we want to have a faith that is alive, if we want to know that we have a true, authentic faith, then the manner of how we know that is by the what? Works that we do for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how we know that we're saved. That's how we know that we are alive in Jesus Christ, and our faith is alive. And he continues on, and he says this, In that same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, so he acknowledges faith. He says there can be faith, faith by itself. There is an entity. If it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And James is very specific with the word that he uses there. Doesn't say half-hearted. Doesn't say in need of repair. Doesn't say is okay for a while, but just try to get it better. He says it's dead, meaning it's not alive. Now the last thing that I've checked is what? When someone is dead, do we call them or pronounce them partially alive? Do we think or hope, apart from Jesus Christ, that magically somehow, some way, they're going to become alive again? When someone's dead, they're dead. They're not coming back. And so friends, what I want to say is James uses this in a manner to cut right at the heart to the people of whom he's preaching. And he's saying, look... It's one thing to have faith, okay? And I'm all about doctrinal importance. I am all about the true gospel, teaching correct scripture. Yes, that's important. But if our faith is merely an intellectual assent, merely a puffing up of knowledge, 
merely a check of the box, and yet it isn't accompanied by an actionable heart that is willing to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, as James tells you, it's dead. It's not alive. It's nothing. And perhaps we need to check our heart and begin to question, are we saved at all? Now again, lovingly, I will tell you, works do not save you. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But having been saved, having recognized what Christ has done for us on the cross, brought us to eternal life, given us the kingdom, given us an eternal inheritance, secured us in our position with Him, in that that will manifest itself in actionable ways in which we live our lives differently from the world. And it demonstrates as we live out our faith on a daily basis. We don't walk into church, profess Jesus Christ, and then check Him at the door, and then walk in again on next Sunday and say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and then check Him at the door again. And so lovingly, what I'm here to tell you is if you want to know that your faith is real, then look at how you're living your life. And if it's similar to the world, if it's not different from the world, if you're not different after having an encounter with Jesus, then perhaps, lovingly, I'm telling you that perhaps you did not have an encounter with Jesus. I am not God, and I do not profess who is saved and who is not. But I can tell you that I can observe someone who is by how they act. And I can observe someone who is not by how they do not act. Faith is useless without works. Then he continues on and he says something very interesting. He says, show me your faith without deeds. Okay, so stop there. Show me your faith without deeds. How can I show you my faith without deeds? I can stand up here and I can say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, right? I can stand up here and I can tell you about all the doctrinal truths I can stand up here and I can tell you about all of Scripture. But the moment that I do not act, the moment that you see that my life has nothing to do with Jesus. Now, hear me again. We're not perfect. We all sin. We all have moments where we stray. That's not what I'm talking about. But if outside in my life you observe that there is nothing of my life that has anything to do with Jesus Christ, would you say that indeed I am a follower of Christ and that my faith is alive? Show me your faith without deeds. How do I show it? How do I show my faith? How do we show our faith if there are no deeds? And then he says, and this is, he's basically speaking to a hypothetical individual, I will show you my faith by what I do. So possessive, I will show you my faith. I possess my faith. How do I possess my faith? It's not by working. I didn't work to get it. So he's agreeing with Paul. I am saved by grace through faith. I possess that, but I will then show it to you by what I do. And so are we doing things for Jesus? Another way to put this, friends, is you cannot be a lawn chair Christian. You can't just come in and hear the Word of God and say that's wonderful and profess Jesus Christ and then check Him at the door and not have Christ living in your life and having Him have you have actionable things within your life that are for Him and for His kingdom. Then he continues on, and he demonstrates this even further. He says, 
you believe that there is one God. Now, this is important to recognize because primarily James is writing again to Jewish believers. So these were individuals who were Jewish prior. They've come to an understanding of who Jesus is. He's concerned that that understanding essentially needs to be manifested with action. And so he says, essentially, you believe that there is one God. Great, that's wonderful. We're, we're on the same page. He's essentially reining in the other beliefs that are out there, which are polytheism, pantheism. Okay, He's moving to the desire or to the understanding of monotheism. Here, O Lord, our God is one, as stated back in Deuteronomy. People will identify with that. Great, we're there. That's important. But then he says, good, okay, great. We're but he says, look, even the demons believe that and shudder. Why is it? Why would he use the example of demons and demonic belief in a statement about God? Because what he's doing there, friends, is he's stating essentially it's one thing to state but then it's a whole nother thing to have your life evidenced by what? Being obedient to the will of God. Notice the contrast? Are the demons wanting to be obedient to God's will? Resounding no. Yet they still believe, don't they? So lovingly, friends, I'm gonna just throw out, is it perhaps that the faith that you have is one that's demonic in its understanding? Oh, I believe, just as the demons do. But my will, God, not thy will be done. My desire, God, not yours. Oh yes, you can save me, but I don't want anything else to do with you. Get me to heaven, but don't be Lord of my life. Oh, I believe, but I don't believe. It's a very poignant example. And friends, it should cut to the heart of our soul. Perhaps are some professing a faith as the demons profess. And then he continues on, and he gives some examples and so, first and foremost, we see that faith is useless without works. And then we see, particularly in the next couple of passages, that Abraham and Rahab demonstrate an authentic faith, so a true faith, by accompanying it with works. Again, I want to make sure, I don't want anybody leaving here this morning thinking that in order to be saved, I have to work for my salvation. That is not it. That is not the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith on what Jesus Christ did on the cross on our behalf. We cannot save ourselves. Christ alone does so by his atoning sacrifice. However, after having placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if our lives aren't different, if we are not working for the kingdom, if we are not working for God, if we are not desiring his will, if there's no evidence of that faith in our life, that's faith. But what James is saying is that faith is dead. And a live faith will be one that will be accompanied by, and I'll use deeds, works, actions, okay? I'm gonna try to, sometimes we get hung up on the word works, right? And then he comes up with these two interesting examples. And he talks about Abraham. He says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? You see that his faith and his actions, okay, don't miss this, his faith and his actions were working together 
hand in hand, accompanied. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And as the scripture was fulfilled, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. So let's think through this for a minute. How many are familiar with, obviously, the story of Abraham and Isaac? Okay? We recognize that. We realize it's a story toward the beginning of Scripture. Essentially, Abraham is a guy. He's about 75 years old. And God comes to him and he says, you're going to have a son or a child. And he says, look up into the stars and you're going to have that many children. Now, first and foremost, I don't know about you, but um, 75, yeah, I'd be kind of like, okay, right. Now, the next thing you know, it'd be like, okay, not only am I going to supposedly have kids, but you're telling me I'm going to have that many kids? And then what we see is he believes God, and then God calls him to something that's gut-wrenching. God calls him to what? Sacrifice his son, Isaac, on the altar. Now, why is this statement being brought up? Why is James talking about this? We discover, essentially, in Genesis 15, that is where God says, I am crediting Abraham. He is justified. His faith is justified. But the action that occurs where Abraham sacrifices, I'm going to put that in quotes, Isaac, isn't until Genesis 22. That's like 40 years later. Okay, why is that? What James is demonstrating is that the faith manifested itself, but it was made real as God tested it to the point of which Abraham was willing to do the will of the Father, entirely trusting him. To the point that he what? was willing to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And we read in the story that what? As Abraham takes Isaac to be sacrificed on the altar, it's elongated out. It's not that uh, Abraham says, okay, I'll do it. And then he gets Isaac and they start walking, right? And they get 10 steps in and God says, okay, that's enough. All right, you know, just, I'm just checking. No, they, they, they get to the altar. All right, you'd think that might be enough. Doesn't stop there, does it? No, he lays Isaac down on the altar. Now, that, that might be enough, right? Doesn't stop there, does it? No, it's that when he raises and is ready to go down on Isaac to sacrifice his son, then and only then is when God says, stop. Interestingly enough, if you look at this, some translations, and if you look at the Greek, it's passive in how James writes. He says that Abraham sacrificed Isaac on the altar. Now, we all know that's not true, is it? He didn't, did he? James is very poignant in how he uses that word because in his eyes and in Abraham's eyes, he did. He had committed entirely to the will of the Father and in his heart and in his actions, he had sacrificed his son. That's the point that God was driving James to. Demonstrating that his faith accompanied by action was real. And that is when full righteousness was credited to Abraham. Interestingly enough, we also see that Abraham is then in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Patriarch Example of the faith that Abraham had. And then all of a sudden, we get that, and we turn to Rahab. Now, who's familiar with Rahab? Who knows the story of Rahab? It's interesting that he would choose Abraham and Rahab. 
Why? Well, first of all, Abraham, father figure, essentially, for the Jewish faith as well as the Christian faith. Why Rahab? Patriarch, male, prostitute, female. Jewish, Gentile. And so James is very pointed in his second example about Rahab. Rahab's story essentially is she is a prostitute. Make no, I mean, sorry about this, but we'll use the word prostitute or harlot. I mean, that's what she was doing. And what we come to discover in Joshua 2 is the spies are essentially going out and they are searching out the land. They're looking into being delivered into the promised land. They're seeing what's going on. And in order to escape being captured, they go to Rahab, they knock on her door, and they seek refuge with her. Rahab, in order to protect the spies, essentially says, go here. When they come, I will tell them that you went that way, and I want you to go this way. And then she turns to them and she says, but when I do, and when you return to destroy this city... I want to ask in faith that you remember me. And so what do they do? They say, we will, when we come, we want you to take a scarlet cord, we want you to descend it from your window, and that's how we know who you are, and you will be saved. It is her faith that's accompanied by action that demonstrates that her righteousness is credited her. The interesting thing, too, that we see here is, is where does Rahab show again in Scripture? In the genealogy of Jesus, as well as in the hall of faith. James takes two very pointed examples, essentially on two different extremes, and an illustration for us to show us that all of us Okay, whether we're the patriarch of Judaism and the Christian faith, or whether we're the prostitute and the harlot, are included in the grace of God and the mercy of God. But because of that grace and mercy that they receive, their actions then demonstrate their faith in who God is. And that should speak volumes to the people that James is preaching to. Because what he's doing is he is saying that none of you are excluded from what's being stated right here. Because interestingly enough, the people of God would be sitting there saying, okay, well, I, I get this, but what about if I'm Jewish or not Jewish? What about if I'm a male or a female? Well, okay, I get it, but that person might have been a little bit better, but this person is not. And so he takes two polarized yet parallel examples and demonstrates that their faith in Christ is what saved them, but their action in, in what they did is what demonstrates the authentic faith that they had. And so what I want to ask you this morning is this. Is our faith being accompanied by action? James continues on, and he says in 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. We look at this, and what essentially is being done is James is demonstrating to individuals that it is about our faith in Jesus, being saved by grace through faith, but then being accompanied by action that demonstrates that indeed we are a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I think is interesting in this, particularly due to the fact that primarily James's audience is Jewish Christians or Jewish believers, is this. We see in Galatians, and it's particularly an evident uh, or an argument over how one is saved or not saved, 
And essentially what's going on there is Paul is writing and saying, look, it's not by being circumcised or uncircumcised. An argument comes up and people are saying, well, I'm more of a believer or I'm saved because I'm circumcised. And others are saying, well, no, I'm, you know, more of a believer because I'm not circumcised. Okay, so they're going back to a deed, right? What we see is, Paul writes, for Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, okay? So I'm going back, and what I'm telling you is it isn't works. Works is not what saves. I don't care if you're circumcised or not. That's what's going on there. What has value is the only thing, okay, that counts is what? Faith. Boom, there it is. I have faith. Awesome. I believe in Jesus. Uh, wait. He continues on. Expressing itself through love. Action. That's what counts. And so friends, this point is, yes, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Praise God for it. Anyone can come. Anyone can profess their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're the patriarch or the prostitute. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. Anyone can profess. But what does matter is after having professed, do our actions demonstrate that we indeed are a follower of Jesus Christ? Why? Why is this so important? Why would we spend this much time talking about this? Because so often, friends, what I see is what I call lawn chair Christianity. And I am not judge, I am not jury, I am not telling you that you all must be working for Jesus in this church 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. But what I am lovingly telling you is this, that if you're professing Jesus, yet your life is not different than what it was before you professed Jesus, something is terribly wrong. Because, as James stated, as the body without the spirit is dead, so there is a body, okay, he's not denying that, but without the spirit is dead, so is faith, without deeds, dead. Last point, because faith without works or deeds or actions is dead. When you go to a funeral, how many have seen a corpse? Now, uh, here's what I'll tell you. When we look at that corpse, oftentimes, you know, Lord willing, the morgue does a decent job. The corpse looks okay. But would we all agree? I mean, it can look good. But what is it? Dead. No life in it. Is it going to come alive again? No, apart from Jesus, okay, just, man, looks great. Still dead, because there is no spirit within it. So James makes a very poignant example, and he says, look, a faith that is alive, a faith that is real, a faith that is authentic, a faith that is genuine, a faith that is Christian is one that will believe yet be accompanied by works deeds, action. Let me put it another way. The ESV study Bible kind of says this about this particular passage. It says, if someone says he has faith but lacks the resulting evidential works, one must doubt he has been saved. 
Now again, I am not judging. I am not going to say you're saved, you're not. But what I will say is, I think the ESV states it very, very well. If someone says he has faith or she has faith, but lacks the resulting evidential works, one must doubt he has been saved. There can be no true faith that fails to produce works. Now, works do not save, but an authentic faith, a true faith, will produce works for the kingdom. It's just a natural overflow of a life that we've been given through the Holy Spirit within us. Mere mental assent to the Christian faith does not save anyone. Now, I'm not saying don't study your Bibles. I am saying study your Bibles. Learn who God is. Learn the doctrines of the faith. Learn what Christianity is. Learn the tenets. Learn the creeds. Learn what we have in our faith in Christ. But what I will tell you is those are not what saves. Jesus alone is what saves. The faith that saves, as both Paul and James affirm, embraces the truth of the gospel and acts accordingly. It embraces the truth of the gospel and then it acts accordingly. It is one thing to embrace the truth. It is a whole other thing to then act accordingly. More simplified, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Abraham to Isaac on the altar. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. For James, faith alone not accompanied by action, not accompanied by works, means a bogus kind of faith. It's kind of a neat word, bogus. It takes me back to like my 80s. Bogus faith. That's bogus, dude. Mere intellectual agreement without genuine personal trust in Christ that bears one fruits in life is what faith is. If we bear fruit, then we have faith. If we just merely intellectually ascend and don't bear fruit, then there is no faith. And so we've asked this question, can one have faith in Christ that is not accompanied by works? You can, okay? The answer is sure, you can have a faith in Christ. But what James says is the faith that's there is dead. It's not alive. And so what James is pointing out, and this is what I want to leave us with, is this. Authentic Christian faith is accompanied by actions. Because faith without works is dead. We are not saved by our works. Works do not get us into heaven. We cannot do enough good things. We can't come to church enough. Although that's not a bad thing. What saves us is grace by faith in Jesus Christ. But what demonstrates a saving faith is the works and the actions that then accompany it after having been saved. And if no works are accompanying our salvation, then lovingly, as James puts it, I would say that you've got a bogus faith, or perhaps, as James more pointly says, your faith is dead. Another way to look at this, William Booth um, essentially an English Methodist preacher. He and his wife Catherine were the ones that were primarily the founders of the Salvation Army say this, and I think this is a great way to look at it. Faith and works should travel side by side, step answering step, like the legs of men walking. First faith, I love this, first faith, then works, then faith again, and then works again, until you scarcely distinguish which is one and which is the other. I love this analogy. It's an analogy. If you want to break it apart, it kind of falls. But if you think through this, in the Christian walk, what we need to recognize is there is the step of faith in trusting who Jesus is, recognizing that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, that we can't get to Christ on our own by our works. Excellent. Now, having been saved, 
do we just stay here? No, we evidence it by working. Next step. Whatever that might be. Whatever it is that God calls us to do. Whatever it is that we are to be in Christ, it's evidenced by our action. And then that action might lead to another step of faith, to another action, to another step of faith, to the point when we are walking with Christ and there is no distinguishing between our faith and our actions. Or better yet, our actions are automatically expressing our faith. Friends, I leave you with this. We must talk the talk and walk the walk. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We just thank you for this passage in James, a very poignant passage. James is very clear about what he means in terms of a living faith. Father, help us again not to allow the enemy to come in and twist what's being said. It's not being stated that we must work in order to be saved. It is not being said that our actions are what save us. What's being said is that having been saved by grace through faith, in agreement with Paul and his statements, that being a child of the king, being adopted into the kingdom of God, being born again, being given the Holy Spirit within, will lead to a life that demonstrates that faith through the actionable manner of how we go about living our life. And so in that, Lord, may that encourage us. May that help us to recognize that that's how we know we have an authentic faith. Father, I pray too that in this, that perhaps there are some out there that maybe they're just kind of lawn chair in Christianity. Maybe they're just kind of saying, oh, I believe in Jesus, but that's it. I, I don't really want anything different in my life. I just kind of want to come and, and you know, get the get out of hell free card. But don't change it. Don't, don't have will over me. And Lord, lovingly, what I would say is, is if that's the heart that's being convicted today, Lord, I pray that they would realize that you're still working, that they still can turn and come and realize that the authentic faith is one who realizes what Christ has done and then submits to the will of the Father, demonstrating indeed that they are alive and born again in you. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your patience with us. Thank you that you don't expect perfection. But Father, thank you too that you do call us to action. Thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit to enable us to act. And so in that, Lord, we ask less of our will and more of yours as you live through us and our faith is then demonstrated to be alive by how we act. Help us to go out into this world and be salt and light to those who desperately need it. Help us to be the gospel to those whom do not see. And Father, may people look at us and say, I know that person is a believer in Jesus, not by what we profess, but by how we act. We just thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children say, Amen. Amen.